This talk is brought to you by iBiology.org, and this audio was taken from a video available on our website. My name is David Sabatini. I'm a member of the White Institute and the MIT Department of Biology, as well as Howard Hughes Medical Institute and the Koch and Broad Institutes. And in the third of a series of three lectures in which I'm discussing the regulation of growth uh, by the mTOR protein kinase and the, and the pathways associated with, I'm going to discuss with you today ribophagy and its regulation by the mTOR pathway and the recycling of nutrients, particularly nucleotides. We now appreciate that ribosomes contain a large fraction of the amino acids and nucleotides in the cell, and so therefore they serve as a resource for the cell to liberate them when it needs them, particularly under conditions of starvation. mTORC1, we now appreciate, is one of the central regulators of growth, linking the availability of nutrients in the environment to whether a cell in an organism is in an anabolic or a catabolic state. And ribophagy would be an example of a catabolic process. The story here really begins with our efforts to understand mTORC1 biology, in particular how it senses the diversity of upstream signals which are indicated here that the pathway can detect. What are the sensors for these signals? How are these signals integrated into a coherent output that then can talk directly to mTORC1, which can then regulate cell growth and eventually cell division. So to tell you this story, I need to tell you a little bit about, in particular, how the pathway senses amino acids and give you a little bit of background on how this happens. For us, the story started really with images such as this, in this case a video, in which what you're looking at are cells that have been starved of amino acids, and you're looking at the localization of this mTORC1 protein complex. And what you can see is in this diffuse pattern in the cytosol. The black areas here are the nuclei of these two human cells. And when I start the video, a white box will emerge which indicates where we've added amino acids. And what you can see happens is that very rapidly mTORC1 moves to certain localization in the cell, puncta in the cell. These turn out to be lysosomes, and mTORC1 moves there when the pathway is activated, and it comes off the lysosomes when the pathway is inactivated. This, as I discussed in my second lecture, led to quite a bit of interest as the lysosome as a signaling organelle, and you'll see some of that in this lecture as well. This led us to propose a model in which the translocation is one part of a coincidence detector. It's mediated by these interesting GDPases called the RAG GDPases, which are heterodimeric. And in fact, they form the binding site, the docking site, on the lysosomal surface of MTORC1. The second part of the coincidence detector is a different GDPase called the REB GDPase. And its activity is regulated by growth factors as well as energy sources, which here I'm exemplifying by insulin. You need both of these inputs for MTORC1 to be active.
the methods be compatible with metabolite profiling, that is, the quantitation of small molecules in that organelle. We first got this to work from mitochondria. Mitochondria are a lot easier, though, because they're about 10 to 15% of cell volume. And more recently, we've developed a method, we call it the LISO-IP method, for looking at metabolites inside the lysosome. The method is conceptually very simple. You simply express a protein in cells that goes to the lysosomal membrane and has a tag, in this case, these 3XHA tags. And then through a series of steps, we break open the cell and isolate with a magnet, uh, magnetic beads, these organelles. It's conceptually simple, in practice, quite hard. It took us about a year and a half to two years to actually get this to work. There's lots of little tricks along the way. But as soon as it did work, it worked very well, and we could knew that it worked well because we had a little trick that we could do. To validate that our method for looking at lysosomal metabolites was working, what we did is we, we treated cells with two different inhibitors of the vacuolar ATPase. And this is the enzyme which the lysosome uses to acidify the lumen of the lysosome, which is typically somewhere around pH 4.5. And that pH gradient between the lumen and the cytosol is very important for the lysosome to do many things. For example, transport molecules in and out of the lysosome. And if you look at this heat diagram here, this sort of clustergram, at the first two columns, what you're looking at is whole cell samples treated with these two different inhibitors. And you can see there's very few changes. Each horizontal line is a metabolite. And this is because the lysosome accounts for a small fraction of the total cell volume, and therefore you don't see many changes when you just perturb the lysosome. In contrast, the third and fourth columns, which represent the lysosomal samples here, there's really dramatic changes, mostly metabolites going up very highly inside the lysosome when we inhibit the VATPase. This is best seen in this principal component analysis, where again, the whole cell samples all cluster together, whether they've been treated with a vehicle or the VATPase inhibitors, while the two VATPase inhibitors are clearly distinct from the whole cell sample when we look inside of the lysosome. So using this method then, we did a very simple experiment where we knocked out this SLC39 arginine sensor and looked at the inside of the lysosomes under those knockout conditions. We were quite surprised to see what we found. We found that most essential hydrophobic amino acids went up dramatically inside the lysosome. And the conclusion that we eventually drew was that this protein is not only an arginine sensor, but it's also a transporter for these key essential amino acids, and that this transport function is also regulated by arginine. So arginine turns out to have this interesting lysosomal signaling role. It turns on mTORC1, and at the same time it releases from lysosomes the amino acids that mTORC1 needs to drive anabolism, because these are essential amino acids that the cell then needs to, to, do, use protein, to do protein synthesis. And so we asked ourselves, well, why you know, is there this arginine sensor here? And there's also one on the side. So what might be the conditions under which cells care about this arginine sensor? Well, it turns out that many cells don't obtain their, free, their amino acids from in a free form, that is, floating around in the plasma or in the case of cells and culture in the media and then coming into the cell. Rather, what they do is they take up protein, put it into the lysosome, and break that protein down and release amino acids. And it turns out in cells like those, pancreatic cancer cells being probably the best example of those, this pathway is absolutely essential for cells to grow when you need to feed them protein for them to be able to grow and proliferate. And so one of the experiments we did is we knocked out this gene and we asked, can we make a pancreatic tumor? And the answer is no. So if we take pancreatic cancer cells, knock out SLC39, add back a control gene, you can see that we don't get tumors. This is tumor volume on the y-axis. If we add back the wild-type form, we do. 
Now, you saw that protein was sort of embedded in the middle of a number of other complexes. How do we know it's not a structural role versus a transport role? Well, we identified a mutant, this T133W mutant, which has no transport activity. And you see also we cannot make tumors when cells, pancreatic cancer cells express that, that mutant. This is quite exciting because it turns out that the pancreatic cancer cells mostly are driven by mutations in RAS, which has turned out to be largely undruggable, although there, are, there is progress in that space. And so this could be a way of specifically targeting these types of cancer cells, because most cancer cells actually don't, or most normal cells don't use this pathway as a way of obtaining amino acids.
Visit us at iBiology.org for more free talks from the world's top scientists. Funding is provided by the National Science Foundation and the National Institute of General Medical Sciences.